pray. Lord, thank you for these great words of Scripture. A reminder of your great timing, Lord, that you didn't leave mankind to their own devices to just completely deserve your wrath and, and receive all of your wrath, but you sent a Savior, Jesus, and you sent him at the perfect time. I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on the topic of time, that we would dedicate ourselves to make the best use of our time as we dedicate our lives to you once again to live for you and glorify you with our lives that we may enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning our message is called Timekeeper. And uh, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and into chapter 4 a little bit. And the book of Ecclesiastes is an interesting one. It's, an, it's a book, it's said to be written by the preacher. We know this is Solomon writing, and he writes a lot of really interesting things in there uh, about futility, about vanity, about all of these things that we live for and strive through, and the things that um, he has discovered are meaningless in many ways. So he, he's spent his life, this seems to be at the end of his life or towards the end of his life, he's, he's planted all kinds of gardens, he's built cities, he's had all kinds of wives, he's had all kinds of pleasures, he's had all kinds of whatever, and he says it's all vanity, right? And the passage we're going to look at here this morning is um, about the topic of time, which I thought was uh, appropriate. It's not very often that uh, New Year's Eve falls on a Sunday morning where we can really take a moment to reflect on the, the year past and the year coming up. Um, and so we're going to talk about time. God is the timekeeper. Uh, he's outside of time. He, he's the one that started time in the first place. Um, but in our time, in our era, we have made a mess of not using our time well, haven't we? And we have been, uh, in a sense, under the tyranny of time. And one, one uh, commentator said uh, that is kind of what the preacher was talking about, the way it seems, time seems to control our lives, down to the millisecond. There was a uh, playwright, a Roman playwright named Plautus, And he wrote about this. He was bemoaning the stress caused by the latest device for keeping time, which at his time was the sundial. Before that, people didn't worry so much about keeping things to the minute. If if you said, I'll come and see you in the afternoon, it was going to be in the afternoon. And uh, we just knew that that meant after the sun was past the midpoint. That was all it meant. Um, and, And he was stressed by this back then. Can you imagine how stressed he would have been today? But he said this, he said, the gods, of course, this is a pagan, this is not a Christian writing, the gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish ours. Confound him who has cut and hacked my days so wretchedly into small pieces. Confound him who in this place set up a sundial. And so this was the beginning of it. Of course, now we have uh, timekeeping down to even beyond the millisecond and uh, Many of us, our schedules are so full of events and things we have to rush to and from. I was just telling Brandon before the service that during the past week, I took some time just to do a a jigsaw puzzle. And just in the few hours I spent doing a jigsaw puzzle, I felt like my 
mind was unwrapped because I didn't have any devices. I didn't have any radio. I just sat and worked on the puzzle. And and it was so healthy, and it made me think, you know, the screens are in front of us a little too much, right? So I want to read our passage, and then we're just going to go through verse by verse and try to glean some things from this. Um, and uh, speaking of time, who knows how long we'll spend on this. We'll see. Uh, but I know you have things to do today, so we'll get done in time, whatever time that might be. Let's look at, I'm going to read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting at verse 1. We're going to go into verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. It says this, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it, so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts." For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better that a man should rejoice in his work for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the earth. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. All right, so there's a lot there. 
Um, but we're going to move through it and try to gather some lessons, and hopefully as we enter into a new year again, um, which there shouldn't be any particular reason for us to do that at the new year. We should be recommitting ourselves to God every day. But since we have this opportunity uh, to reflect about our time. So he starts out, going back to the beginning of the um, passage here, everything for everything there's a season and a time for every matter under heaven. And by the way, I don't, I don't know if there's any other pastors out here. I wonder if any pastor has ever studied this for this sermon in the last few decades without constantly having a certain song recurring in their mind. <laughs> turn, turn, turn. Okay. But anyway, there is a time. He starts right off with the two most, the, the, the bookends of our life, right? Time to be born and a time to die. And these are things that need to be said, and yet we should already know them, right? There's a time to be born and a time to die. These are part of the life cycle. And it's all of it in God's timing. He determines what will happen. And so the time of your death, the time of my death, is determined by God. He hasn't let us in on that, but he knows when we will die. There's a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted. Well, this is a pretty obvious one to people who do any kind of gardening or farming, but for people that may not do that, they might not realize sometimes uh, there is a time to pluck up. You've got to get rid of the old stuff so that you can plant the new. Um, there's a time to kill and a time to heal. Well, when do we kill? Well, we don't, we don't kill on our own. We don't commit murder, but... There is time where war happens and killing has to happen. There's times where criminals commit such vile crimes that they have to be put to death. There's a time to kill. There's, another, there's also a time to heal. And these are all of these things that we're talking about here are sometimes matters of discernment. And we have to discern when is the right time to do these things. When's the right time to go to war and when's the right time to seek peace? We need to have prayers for discernment for all of these things. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. If you've ever been in any town long enough, you'll see that some old institution of a building is being torn down, right? And people say, I can't believe it. When I was a kid, there was a place called the Empire Theater in my hometown. And it was the movie theater, the one-screen theater, uh, where I went and saw as a kid when they had kids' days during the summer and we went and saw the Three Stooges and things like that there. Well, guess what? They tore it down and people were upset. There was an institution. You know, we, we can't tear this down, but there was a new theater down at the mall. The other one was going out of business. The other one had seven screens and the other, you know, progress moved. But we have to tear things down sometimes in order to build up new things. Um, I went through Marine Corps boot camp, and they, they kind of say that too. They bring you in those first few weeks of boot camp. They're breaking you down. They're breaking down all the pride you have. They're breaking down all the self-sufficiency you thought you had. And then they want to rebuild you in the image that they want. They want you to become a United States Marine, and so they build you up that way. And uh, so we have building up and tearing down that needs to be done throughout life. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. Um, Time to mourn, a time to dance. By the way, these times, these different times, there's a total of 28 of them. 
And uh, some commentators think that that, um, because the moon cycle is 28 days, that uh, Solomon very cleverly was using the total of 28 to represent that constant change too, right? So there's always change happening. There's always times to do different things. This next one is uh, the commentators have different opinions on what does it mean to cast away stones and time to gather stones together. Um, The gathering stones together is a little easier to understand perhaps because farmers will gather the stones out of the field so that they can have uh, an easier time of planting. But um, the commentators are all over the map on what it means to cast away the stones. Some think it may be a time to throw stones at people. In other words, there's times to defend yourself and times to gather stones together. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those where we'll let, we're left to kind of wonder what, what that meaning is. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. As um, we know that there's appropriate times to do those things too. And um, as Alistair Begg said in one of his sermons, when uh, the father has the teenage daughters, he may tell the young man to go look up Ecclesiastes 3 and find this is not the time for embracing. So uh, there's a time to seek and a time to lose, or some translations will say to give up seeking. Uh, in other words, sometimes we try to cling to stuff that we're, that's gone and, and it's already lost, but we, uh, we keep trying to get something that once it's even out of our grasp. So there is a time to seek, but there's also a time to lose. There's a time to keep. There's a time to pass, cast away. Um, we don't want to cling to anything of earthly value too closely or we can't let it go. There's a time to tear and a time to sow. Why would you tear? Well, sometimes you need to tear uh, to make things. Uh, if, you're, if you're talking about cloths, you need to tear it to remake it or to re. Uh, to put a patch on, you have to tear out the, the ruffled edges that are all kind of frayed. There's a time to keep silence and a time to speak. I struggle with that one sometimes. I like to speak a lot. But there's times to keep silence and times to speak. Again, these are all matters of discernment. Do we have the discernment to know when to keep silent and when to speak? We need to seek the Lord to know when we should do those things. A time to love and a time to hate time for war and a time for peace. So you see all of these are contrasting with each other. There's times where different things happen throughout the life of nations, the life of people, the life of families. And then he moves on to talk about what gain does the worker have from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out, out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So he's seen the, the business, busyness that God has given to the children of man. And, and in other places in the Ecclesiastes, he talks about this a little more as well. This idea that, you know, you kind of, you, you get up and you do a job so that you can earn your money, that you can buy your food, so that you have a place to sleep, and then you uh, have the place to sleep and the place to eat so that you can sustain yourself to go back to work the next day. And it just seems like this cycle of endless, meaningless uh, activity, busyness. And we all probably feel like that at times in life. And, and he's kind of talking about this, like in the end, what does... All of this gets us. It just gets us to the next day and the next thing that we're going to do. 
Uh, and yet, he says he's made everything beautiful in its time. So in time, we begin to see the value of those things, even though uh, we feel like we may not be getting anywhere. If we're growing in the Lord and we're growing through those things, then we begin to see the beauty of life in all of them. And then he says a really important thing here, because this is, this is something to think about. When you talk to someone who says they're agnostic or atheistic, and they don't believe there's an afterlife, they just say, well, when you die, I'm a materialist, people will say, and, and when you die, you just decompose and that's it. But the Bible says right here that God himself put eternity into man's heart. And yet, he did it in a way that we cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So we don't see everything. We don't know how God, other than what the Bible tells us, and he spoke the world into existence, we don't know all the mechanics of that. We don't know the mechanics of how things will all end in the final time period when God brings this current world to the end. And yet, we have this innate sense within us Not just Christians, all people have an innate sense that there's something after this life. Just about every religion has some component of afterlife. Um, Other than Christianity, all the rest of them are wrong. They have all kinds of false ideas about what happens after this life is over. Um, Yet, it's innate in us. And you can see that where every culture just about throughout human history has had some sort of ritual of a sending off of sort when people die. And it's looked at different ways for different people, but this is a consistent thing you see throughout just about every human experience throughout history is that there's a sense of a funeral or something where we're sending that person into the afterlife. Of course, you see how the Egyptians did it. There's always this mystique behind the Egyptian culture, but they're not the only ones. But they actually put all those things in those tombs with them, right? So you're going into the afterlife. You're going to need your horses. So they kill the horses and put them in. Anyway, it doesn't make any sense to me. But they had this sense that there was something after that. And they were right about that, by the way. There was something after. But they weren't going to be riding their horses without, uh, in the afterlife because they had already killed them. But also because they were not going to eternal life with Christ. And then he moves on, he says, I perceived that there is nothing better for them to to be than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. So after he kind of goes into this thing about, hey, there's the cycle, the work, we work, we eat, we sleep, we go back to work, we eat, we sleep, it seems like a cycle. And so what does he say? He says, there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live and that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So we ought to have an attitude about the work that God gives us to do that we take pleasure in it, that it's a delight to be able to do something productive and to serve. And uh, and this is a different attitude that the Christian should have. This should be, if you're a Christian... At your job, if you're employed by a company, they should be absolutely thrilled to have you because you should be the type of worker that says, you know what, I'm here. Even as Paul says in Colossians, we work as if we're serving God, not man. And so we should take pleasure in our toil. Now that's easier said than done, right? 
We need God's help even to do that. And then he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. Again, here's a guy who's lived a lot of life. Remember, what was the one quality we know about uh, Solomon? He was the wisest person ever. And so he sees these patterns and he sees that what has already been, what, what is going on now has already been. What is going to happen next has already been. And God seeks what has been driven away. And so he's pointing out here that um, all of these cycles in life are predetermined by God. I remember when I first uh, read the, old, the whole Bible from front to back, all in one, not in one sitting, <laughs> but in, in, uh, just from front to back, within a, a few weeks' time I once did this, and I remember reading, and I, I kept thinking to myself as I was in the Old Testament, it's like, boy, there seems to be a cycle and a pattern here. God blesses. The people enjoy the blessing. The people get comfortable in the blessing. The people begin to look for something else because they're, they're just too comfortable. They stop. They forget that God supplied all of this. They start serving other gods. Things go really badly because God's wrath comes on them. They're suffering. They have plagues or they have crops failure or they have invasions or whatever happens. And so then they turn to God and they repent of their failure to follow God and they come back to God and then God relents from the things that are coming on them and he, he gives them blessing once again for their repentance. And then the same cycle would repeat and repeat and repeat. And I remember as I was reading through the Bible that first time, I was like, wow, I can't believe these people. And then God really showed me that I do the same thing. I go through periods of my life of blessing, and then I forget that God blessed me. And then I go stop serving him as fervently, perhaps, and things aren't going as well, and I forget. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then I would come back to him, and then he would bless me again. And we do the same thing as those Israelites did. Maybe not in the exact same ways, but we tend to do that as well. And Solomon is seeing patterns. He's saying these things that have happened, they're going to happen again. We see this. Um, you've probably all read at some point the parallels between our current culture and where Rome was right before its fall. Do you ever think about the Roman Empire? You should, because at the height of their success and decadence, they started to go the wrong direction. And the perversion and all of those things that we're seeing in our society were there right before the fall of Rome. But Solomon is a wise person. He sees these patterns, but he also realizes that God is the one that's behind all of it. God, in his grand plan of redeeming people to himself, is causing events to happen that will bring the ultimate glory to him in the most uh, perfect way that will be possible, even though we can't always see that. And the next thing that he says is he, he's concerned. By the way, when he says under the sun, he's basically talking about things that happen on earth. And when he says above the sun, he's talking about things that happen in the spiritual realm. He says, moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will 
Judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. This is something of great concern, I think, in our world today. We see stuff all the time and we say, where is the justice? So-and-so got by with this or they got away with this. Uh, or we see someone punished for something they didn't do. We, we see a lack of justice. And even Solomon saw it. Even in his own kingdom, where he was the one responsible to try to put the best people in every position, and even with all the wisdom that he had in doing so, he still saw that in the justice system, there were failures, and it was because people were not being uh, righteous judges. And I've noticed this, if you follow any of the current events, what happens in our country is someone gets tried for something, and they're either convicted or not convicted, and if they're convicted, they appeal, and maybe the appeals course reverses it, right? Or maybe it's not a criminal thing, but like this whole election thing where people are trying to uh, get all these things to happen for the election's sake. And, they, and one court says, okay, that's good. And then the next court above them says, no, that's no good. And then the next court above them says, well, if they were all perfectly obeying the law, wouldn't all those courts be in agreement, right? But they're not. And so Solomon's seeing the exact same thing we probably see today, and we kind of scratch our heads and we say, why does it seem to matter how a judge makes a decision based on what party of the president that appointed them? That's very interesting, right? So that should not be the case, but that is what uh, Solomon is seeing. He sees injustice, and he's pointing this out. So he sees that there's wickedness even where there's supposed to be justice. There's wickedness even where there's supposed to be righteousness. But he resolves and says in his heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. So in scripture, we see many, many places where God addresses the issue of justice. Um, Amos preached against people who oppress the poor and crush the needy. Ezekiel warned about extortion and stealing from foreigners. Uh, Zechariah listed the people who are the most likely to be oppressed, widows, orphans, travelers, and the poor. It's not just words and actions that bring oppression. It can also be legislation. Thus, Isaiah pronounced God's woe against those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep on writing oppression. And we may cry out for those people. Why, why are they being oppressed? Or maybe some of you are being oppressed. And you cry out and you say, oh my goodness, what is going on here? And that's not very different either from what we see in Scripture. And we see, I'll, I'll quote from one of the, um, uh, a book called The Time for Justice, uh, it says, like the martyrs who have gone ahead of us to glory, we cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge? That's from Revelation 6, 9, and 10. And Jesus has promised that when his people cry out day and night, God will give justice to them speedily. If justice seems a long time coming, as it often does, we should believe the words of the prophets who said, if it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come. It will not delay. And so we see that again and again, Solomon is pointing out these problems with the world that we're in. But he also is showing us a glimmer of hope here when he says God will judge the righteous and the wicked for, every, for there is a time for every matter and every work. 
And then he continues and says, I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. Now, I want to be really clear here, because you could, it, it would be easy to just separate this from the whole context of Ecclesiastes and say, oh, so Solomon himself was a uh, materialist, and he just believed that when beasts die like we die, there's nothing left. He's not saying that. He's talking about the physical here. He's not talking about the spiritual. And you can see that in the rest of his writings, that clearly he was not a materialist in that sense. Um, but what he's pointing out here is that we see animals die. You might have seen a dead animal on the road today on the way here. Maybe a squirrel that didn't go quite fast enough or whatever else, and we see what happens to them. We see birds that hit the window and fall, and very, it's not very long before they're eaten up by bugs or whatever else, and they decay away. And Solomon is saying, look, in the end, that's all of us. All of us are going to end up in the grave. We're going to decay. Our breath will be gone. And in that sense, we don't have any advantage over the beasts. And so all is vanity. And then he says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. Again, we can look at this very easily in our world today. There's people being manipulated and sold into slaveries of all kinds. The oppressors have the power, and the oppressed have no power, and they cry out, and there's no one to comfort them. Many of them suffer without anyone to ever comfort them. And Solomon observes this in his time as well. And he makes a pretty profound statement here. He said, I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Now, might, this might sound very negative to, to kind of end this little passage on, but I want you to think about it because these might be things we think sometimes, man, it would be better enough to never have been born into this world with all the evil that's around there. It's, uh, if, you're, if you watched over Christmas time, as I do every year, it's a wonderful life. That was kind of one of the phrases he throws out, right? Maybe it was better off I'd never been born. And then he gets shown what the world was like without him. And we could tend to these negative thoughts as well. And as if you were to go further in through Ecclesiastes, you'd see that uh, he has all kinds of insights on life. And the point of all of it, though, is that we need to realize that this life is so temporary and that the evil we see around is going to happen. And none of it is unobserved by our Lord God. He is the one who will bring justice. He is the one who will ultimately rule in righteousness. And every deed will get rewarded or punished according to Scripture. 
And so we can have that confidence as well that whatever happens, for everything there is a time. We have a new year ahead of us now as we go into 2024. And we need to be thinking about all of these things that I've just talked about. Do we have the discernment to know what time we're in? Do we know when's the time to speak and when's the time to stay silent? Do we know when's the time to fight and when's the time to lay down arms? And, and all of those things, as you read through them, are really discernment issues. Do we know what time we're in? And when you're wondering and you're sitting there saying, well, I don't know what time we're in, turn to Scripture and see that if you're in Christ, you are in the end times. You're in the times that God is or- orchestrating towards the end of a world that he's going to remake and he's going to punish all the evil, and he's going to make everything right. And for those who put faith in Christ, who deserve the wrath of God, he's given us the gift of not having to stand that wrath because Jesus stood for it on our behalf. He, he took all the wrath of God. We just sang about that. The wrath of God was satisfied as Jesus was on that cross. And, and this, the justice of God was also satisfied. We could have just as well sung, the justice of God is satisfied. Because how does God let a bunch of us sinners off the hook? He had to have someone pay the price, and Jesus did that for us. So the time that we're in, if we're in Christ, should be a wonderful and joyous time. We should be living our lives as though there's something great to expect, because there is. And we should be living our lives as though we serve a great God now, because we do. And we should be living our lives for the glory of God and enjoying him. And that's how our lives should turn out. So whatever's going on around us or in our own lives, whether it's sickness or death or trouble or good things or you know exciting things, at any time in your life, if you know even a handful of people, you'll know someone who's got a relative about to give birth, and you'll know someone who's got a relative that either died or is going to die soon. It's just part of life. And on both ends of those spectrum, if you're in Christ, you can have the joy of knowing that in the end, God is going to wipe every tear from our eye, and he's going to see to it that all of those oppressors receive the justice they deserve. And he will rule in righteousness. The Bible tells us righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne. Everything God does is perfect. We can't always see it right now. We sometimes say, how does so-and-so keep going with all that success? And we know that they're you know, a wretched person and they're sinning like crazy and they're oppressing people. And we wonder how, how can God allow certain things? And yet we know in the end, he will provide the justice. Hitler's gotten his justice. Even though that people in that time might have said, how can he keep surviving? And all of those other people in, in history that we think, how could God let that happen? They will have justice come to them. And those that they oppressed will see that justice as well. And those in Christ, thankfully, instead of justice, we get mercy. Because that's one thing that we have to understand about God is that every single person 
Scripture tells us there is not one righteous, no, not one. Even the smallest sin, even if we consider it small, none of it is small. Every sin is cosmic treason against God. And justice is what is needed. If God were to give each of us justice, we would endure his eternal wrath. But instead, for those in Christ, he gives mercy. God doesn't do any injustice. He, you either get justice or mercy. If you, got the, if you pray for justice too hard and you got it for yourself, you may be in trouble. But put your faith in Christ and experience the mercy of God. Jesus Christ took all the wrath of God and suffered in our place so that instead of justice, we would have mercy. And I think that's a good way to end it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message this morning and a reminder that with all of the cycles of time as we see another year down and the older we get, these years seem shorter and shorter and we see the same patterns of life and we sometimes could get frustrated, Lord, and say, what are we doing? Let us be reminded this morning, God, that you are above and beyond time. You're outside of time. And you've determined the end. And for those in Christ, it's a glorious end to have eternity with you, Lord, praising you forevermore. Lord, may every believer in this place this morning leave with an extra encouragement to know that they will see your justice done in your good time that they will see your salvation completed in your good time. And Lord, that you will bring all things and make them new in your good time. Let us trust the words of Scripture this morning, Lord, and therefore leave here with joy in our hearts, knowing that we have those things to look forward to because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.